Can you hear this? What about this? What about this? That was 20,000 hertz, the highest frequency humans can hear. Here it is again. Chances are you can't hear anything. We're not pulling your leg, the sound is there. But unless you're a child, your ability to hear it might not be. Hi, I'm Elise and welcome to the latest episode of My Amazing Body, where we explore interesting, unknown and misunderstood parts of your body. Today we're learning about the ear. How does hearing work? Why are the ears so important for balance? Why can't you hear a sound at 20,000 hertz? And what can you do to prevent future hearing loss? Listen on to find out. Babies are born with fully developed hearing. In fact, babies can hear even from inside the womb. Pregnant women might notice their baby jump or kick in response to loud noises. Dr Janice Wu is an audiologist who works at Queensland Children's Hospital. We asked her to explain how the ears work, how our sense of hearing might change from when we're a baby, as we grow into adults and enter our senior years. Uh, hi, my name is Janice Wu and I'm a paediatric diagnostic audiologist. I work at the Queensland Children's Hospital. So in my job as a hospital-based audiologist, I'm involved in the diagnosis of hearing loss. To do her job, Dr Wu has to have an intimate knowledge of the anatomy of the ear. She says that while it might look simple from the outside, the inner workings of the ear are very complex. The ear can be broken into three main parts the outer ear, uh, the middle ear and the inner ear. So the outer ear consists of the pinna, which is the, the part that we can see on the side of our head, um, as well as the ear canal. The ear canal is the opening you can see inside your ear. Sounds travel down the ear canal towards a series of mechanisms that allow you to hear. At the end of the ear canal is the eardrum and our middle ear uh, consists of the eardrum and three little bones called ossicles, which are joined together like in a little chain, uh, which then connect the middle ear to the inner ear. The, the three little uh, middle ear bones, the ossicles, are actually the tiniest bones in our body. So all three ossicles could fit together on a, a surface area that's smaller than a five cent piece. The process of hearing doesn't stop at the middle ear. Deep inside the ear lives an organ called the cochlea. It's vital for turning sound into hearing. The inner ear is uh, where we have our organ of hearing. We have the cochlea, which is the spiral-shaped part of the inner ear, which is filled with uh, fluid and rows of tiny little hair cells. So when our ear uh, picks up sounds, those sounds, which are in the form of invisible sound waves, those are captured by our outer ear and travel through our ear canal and um, vibrate our eardrum and those little bones in our middle ear. Um, those tiny um, movements or vibrations are then transferred to the inner ear and they start to move the, the little hearing cells, the little hair cells in our, in our inner ear. Those vibrations are 
transformed into electrical signals or impulses and those then travel through the auditory nerve um, up to the brain and our brain then interprets those electrical signals as sounds. We can't see um, what's happening on, on the inside there uh, beyond the eardrum but those different sound waves that are generated by you know all those the vast array of sounds that we're exposed to every day they will vibrate different parts of our uh, inner ear and so they will create different electrical signals and um, so yeah our brain will interpret those sounds as uh, those signals as either you know high pitched sounds or low pitched sounds um, loud or soft sounds here it's probably something you take for granted but one in six Australians have some level of hearing loss from mild hearing loss to profound deafness. One in 1,000 Australian babies are born with significant hearing loss while others will lose hearing from illness or injury. We spoke to Queensland author Jessica White who lost 75% of her hearing after a childhood illness. Jessica grew up on a property in regional New South Wales and remembers the morning she got sick vividly. So I got meningitis when I was nearly four and we were in a really remote part of the country. We were on a property outside a town called Bogabri, which is about an hour's drive from Tamworth. And my first memory, which I write about in the book, is of lying on a trampoline with this incredible pain leaking down the back of my neck. And... Everything was incredibly bright. Jessica's mum knew something was very wrong, so she drove her to the doctor who immediately sent them to a larger hospital. That was a half-hour drive, then she had to drive for another hour to get to Tamworth. And they did a lumbar puncture, put a needle in my spine to check if it was meningitis, and it was, so they gave me a massive dose of antibiotics. And I had a respiratory arrest. So I just about died. And then they called the priest in for the last rites. We weren't we weren't religious. It was just that's what they that's what they did. Jessica survived, but her hearing was irreparably damaged. Dr. Wu says that illnesses like meningitis pose a high risk for causing hearing loss and can damage hearing mechanisms in a number of ways. An infection like meningitis, particularly um, if it's uh, a bacterial infection, is uh, a high risk for potentially causing hearing loss. So it can uh, damage the um, cochlear hair cells and it can also potentially cause what's called ossification, which is a bit like... um, hardening and and calcification of those inner ear structures. So if anyone's had a a meningitis infection, it's very important that they have their hearing checked afterwards um, because there is a very high risk of hearing loss. Because Jessica had already learned to listen and speak, her hearing loss wasn't initially obvious, but it didn't take long for her parents to notice something wasn't quite right. They took me home And it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that they realised something was wrong because I kept saying pardon all the time and their mum said that she just shouted at me down the hallway to go and clean my teeth and I didn't twig, I didn't turn around. 
Um, and so I've lost all the hearing in my left ear and I've lost about 40% in my right ear. But because the two ears work together, I've only, it only works out to be about 50% in this ear. So I say I've got about a quarter of an average person's hearing. Hearing doesn't just affect how a person responds to sound in the moment. It's also a vital part of spoken language development in children. While Jessica had the basics of speech down pat before her illness, she found that being deaf started to impact her ability to communicate with her peers as she got older. So it wasn't until I got to high school that things were really problematic, yeah, in terms of growing up. And I was incredibly isolated because I couldn't communicate with people. You learn how to have conversations by overhearing your peers and overhearing conversations, and I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have the hearing to do that. So mum and dad taught me, this is how you have a conversation, and they taught me role-playing, basically ask, ask someone about the weather. And I was like, I'll just look out the window. <laughs> you don't need to ask someone about the weather. It was so boring. So it was just small talk was so boring. So it wasn't until my 20s that I worked out that you have to do the small talk before you can actually have a conversation. Jessica uses a variety of different skills and technologies to communicate with the hearing world. In school, she used an FM radio system that transmitted what her teacher was saying directly into her hearing aid. Now she uses a similar system as a university lecturer to hear what her students are saying in class. She also uses technology called a loop system to hear at the movies. While these kinds of tools, along with knowing how to lip read, help Jessica, she says operating in a hearing world as a deaf person can be frustrating and very tiring. So I use my FM. They've got a new version now called a Roger pen, which looks like a pen and you point it at people. (laughs) And I use that in my tutorials And I say to the students, put your hand up if you're going to speak. And that helps. But my whole body is working to hear these people because I've got to work out what direction they're coming from. And I feel myself tense with concentration. So after every tutorial, I feel like I run a a marathon. (laughs) But the Roger pen is amazing. I wouldn't be doing my job without that. And I've got a new hearing aid, which is also quite incredible. So, yeah, the technology is amazing. And when it works, it's amazing, but often it doesn't as well. If you go to um, cinemas, the loop systems are often broken. They're getting better. But once I went to a cinema and it had been broken for months and I complained, I said, this is discrimination. And they kept giving me free tickets. Like, I can't hear a movie. Why are you giving me free tickets? So eventually I complained And I said, this is discrimination. And the manager wrote back and said, don't be ridiculous. Of course it's not discrimination. And I said, I can understand in a one-off situation, it might not seem like discrimination, but when it happens to you repeatedly, it is. So he gave me some more free tickets. (laughs) They eventually got a better system, but I didn't go back there for a long time because I was so insulted. (laughs) So, yeah, when they work, they're incredible. When they don't work, it's frustrating. Yeah. Jessica encourages people to be more mindful of those with a disability, like deafness or hearing loss, especially because it's not always easy to tell that that person has a disability just by looking at them, or in her case, hearing them speak. Yeah, I have to work hard to convince people in the sense that I will have a conversation with someone. I say, uh, I can't hear very well. Can you please speak clearly? And they do for two minutes and then they forget. I'm exhausted all the time and... I say to people, I've only got 25% of the average person's hearing, but they can't conceptualise that because I don't sound like I have a speech impediment, even though there is a bit of a lisp sometimes. So it's a double-edged sword. 
While the meningitis damaged her hearing, Jessica has found her other senses have developed to compensate. I notice a lot of things happening in my peripheral vision, which I think they've done research to support. You've got to watch out for being run over by a car. She also says her sense of smell helps her understand what's going on around her. So I'm sitting on a bus and I'm reading. I can work out where the people are by and who they are by what they smell like, whether they're perfume or they haven't washed or they've been playing sport and things like that. So, yeah, it's very cute. Jessica is the author of two novels, with a third book, Hearing Maud, about deafness coming out later this year. If you'd like to learn more about services for people who are deaf or who have hearing loss and how you can support them, we've included some links to useful organisations and resources in the show notes of this episode. Are you ready for this episode's mystery body part? See if you can guess what the body part is from the clues given. We'll reveal the answer at the end of the episode. What am I? You have four sets of me, two upper and two lower. On average, I'm 10 millimetres long, though the record is 6.99 centimetres. People have been styling me since 4000 BC. I act as a dust catcher for your eyes, removing dirt and debris with the help of tiny mites called Demodex. Do you know what I am? Your ears allow you to hear, but that's not all they do. They play an integral role in helping you balance, sending signals to your brain that tell you how your body is positioned at any given moment. Dr Wu explains how it works. So our ears are not just necessary for hearing, they're also really important for balance. So our eyes, our inner ear and our muscles and joints all work together to give our, our brain information uh, about where, where our head and body are in, in space and so that allows us to then be able to compensate for our balance. So in our inner ear, um, we don't just have uh, the organ of hearing, there are also three loops called semicircular canals. So inside the semicircular canals are tiny hair cells and fluid. So when our head and our body moves, the fluid and the hair cells um, in those semicircular canals also move. So one of the canals senses up and down movements, the second canal senses side to side movements, and the third canal senses um, tilting movements. Your ears also help you situate yourself in space, letting you know if you're hearing something from your left or if you're hearing something from your right. It's possible for illnesses that affect hearing, like an ear infection, to also affect a person's sense of balance. Queensland man Dion found this out when, after having a run-of-the-mill cold, he woke up one day feeling very peculiar. Went to bed feeling like I had a cold or a flu and woke up the next morning to a really odd sensation like you've been spinning around and around and around for about a minute and the room just kept spinning and spinning and spinning while I was lying in bed and it didn't stop spinning. So that was quite terrifying to wake up and not know which way is up and which way is down. Dion had labyrinthitis, a condition where the inner ear or labyrinth becomes inflamed often as a result of a bacterial or viral infection. 
After lying in bed and realising that the spinning wasn't going to stop, he figured he had to go to the doctor to find out what was going on. But getting out of bed without a working sense of balance was a whole new challenge. Well, the first thing was getting out of bed, and that was a challenge in itself. So I was literally holding onto the walls as I was walking around my room or walking down the corridor. I lived with my brother at the time, so I got him to take me to the closest GP that we could find. With the world spinning and his stomach spinning with it, Dion spent the next few days on the couch trying to hold down food with the help of anti-nausea medication. The nausea was such that I was wanting to vomit pretty much all the time, and the only way that I didn't was by lying down on my side and watching TV. And so I basically ate and drank as much as I could on my side for those first couple of days so that I didn't feel overcome with nausea. While his condition gradually improved, it took a while longer for him to get a diagnosis. After running tests to make sure there was nothing going on neurologically, Dion was sent to a balance specialist. Once the initial really strong symptoms had gone past, it was to the point where I was able to function day to day. However, my energy levels were about half of what I would like them to be, and my eyes got really, really tired because I gather that they were giving me the most accurate information as to what was up and what was down because my balance was off. So I found myself with really, really tired eyes. The diagnosis actually came about five months later. So after a number of GP visits and a number of tests, I was eventually referred to a clinic that specialised in hearing and balance. So when I went to the specialist clinic, they did some tests on me as part of their attempt to diagnose what was going on with my balance. And they did some tests with my eyes, so following a dot around the a screen, sort of tracking my movement. Uh, they also did some tests specifically with my ears. And the one that made me feel the most nauseous, which I've never experienced before, was they had a basically a, a tube that pumped air, a small amount of air, and I would lie on one side and they would put that tube into one ear. And they did it first with cool air, and they sort of pumped cool air into my ear for about two minutes and made me say a rating of one to ten how nauseous it made me feel. And after about 30 seconds, it just makes you feel incredibly nauseous to have this, this air pumped into your ear. And it's the strangest feeling. And Some people with labyrinthitis have a more mild experience of the condition and don't require treatment. But for people like Dion who don't fully improve, therapy is required to help the brain recalibrate to the new signals coming from the balance centres in their ears. So by the time I got my diagnosis, I'd been back at work for a few months. I'd been working in a, in a retail environment. So I was doing lots of bending over, putting stock on shelves, um, talking to customers, you know, making my way to work each day. And that was actually the best form of recovery. So the recovery is designed around recalibrating your internal balance receptors. Uh, and to do that, you do lots of mobility exercises, walking backwards, bending over, bending over sideways, trying to balance with your eyes closed, which is now something I'm really good at, with the idea that the brain or your the messages will recalibrate your sense of balance. I just have a, a newly calibrated balance between my two ears. 
impact your overall well-being in so many ways. So how can Queenslanders look after their ears and their hearing health? We asked Dr Wu to give us the lowdown on everything from loud noises to cleaning your ears. The most important thing is to preserve the hearing that you have. So we would always encourage people to be mindful of loud noises um, or excessively loud noises that they're exposed to because hearing damage from uh, noise exposure can occur at any age and unfortunately it's generally irreversible. So once we damage those little hair cells in our inner ear, they don't regenerate. So hearing protection and hearing preservation is important from an early age and all through life. Some of the things that people can do to ensure that they're just turning the volume down if they're using personal listening devices, limiting the time that they're exposing themselves to loud noises, whether that is um, in the workplace or in their own homes um, or through you know, leisure or recreational activities, to wear appropriate hearing protection when you're exposed to loud noises. The louder a noise is, the more quickly it can damage your hearing. We measure how loud a sound is in decibels. So anything that is sort of normal conversation is sort of 60 to 65 decibels. I talk a bit louder, so I could be 65, 70. But so 85 decibels is loud, and that's probably anything above that is where it can really start to get damaging. So 85 decibels, depending on the sound, is damaging. It probably takes a little bit longer for the damage to to take effect. Um, But the louder it is, it just means that there's less time that it's safe. So if it was like at 110, you know, you could be doing damage after 10 minutes or five minutes. Um, But if it's 85 decibels, you know, you might be able to listen to it for like six hours and you might get a little bit of damage. According to Know Your Noise, a rock concert clocks in at about 103 decibels, which will damage your hearing after seven and a half minutes. Do you listen to your personal music player, like your smartphone, on full volume? That's 106 decibels, and you've got just under four minutes before your hearing could be impacted. Dr Wu says because we live and work in environments that are often very noisy, it can be easy to overlook the potential for hearing damage. If the damage is very gradual, sometimes people go, oh, I don't find that loud anymore. Or they keep turning up and go, well, it's like they think they're getting used to it and they're like, I can just crank it up. But I think that's actually a sign that you already have damaged your hearing so that you don't realise that you're turning it up louder and louder. Have you ever noticed a ringing in your ears? Tinnitus affects one in ten Australians and can be a sign that your hearing has been damaged. Tinnitus is a condition where some people hear buzzing or ringing sounds in their ears. Tinnitus can be a sign that you have damaged your hearing. So often patients report ringing or buzzing sound or a dullness to their hearing after they've been exposed to loud noise. So quite often that that tinnitus can be a sign that you have done damage to your hearing. Like eyesight, it's common that people's hearing will deteriorate as they age, with higher frequencies often the first to drop off. Remember when we played 20,000 hertz at the start of the episode? Dr Wu explains there's a biological reason you might not be able to hear these high-frequency sounds. 
hearing loss that's age-related, people typically start to lose those higher frequencies first, and that's because the way the, the cells are sort of laid out is that the area of the cochlea that responds or reacts to high-pitched sounds is at the start, so it's like all sounds go through at first, even if it's a deep sound, to then stimulate the part deeper in. But it's that initial part of the start of the cochlea, so it's just more that wear and tear. With the cochlea, because it's that, that spiral shape, those tiny hearing cells or hair cells they're just little rows of, of hair cells. So as the sound waves travel in, depending on the frequency of the sound, so all of the, the hair cells don't vibrate all the time. They vibrate different parts of the cochlea depending on the frequency of the sound. So the way we explain it is like if you were to, if you were to kind of unroll the cochlea and it was like flat, just you could imagine like a piano keyboard sort of thing where you'd have like the lower section that like the for lowest tones. And then the higher tones. The high frequencies are really important for us to get the definition of of speech, being able to detect the differences in like vowel and consonant sounds. So when you lose that, then it does sound like everyone's mumbling. Wearing earplugs and earmuffs is one of the best ways to protect your hearing from loud noises and help keep those high frequency hair cells healthy for as long as possible. On that note. Dr. Wu says that earplugs are the only things that you should be putting in your ears. So anything other than earplugs or anything that's specially made for the ear, anything other than that we wouldn't be recommending that people are putting into their ears because there is the, the, the risk that you could damage your ear canal or your eardrum. So you, you don't want to potentially poke a hole in your eardrum and create any damage like that. And while you might be tempted to poke around in your ear to clean out earwax, it's unnecessary to remove it. And it can cause a lot more harm than good if you're shoving a cotton bud down there. Earwax is just a, a normal part of the ear. It actually has, uh, it's naturally antibacterial. So we don't generally recommend that you get in there with, uh, say, a cotton bud and clean the earwax out. Earwax, over time, just naturally makes its way out from further inside the ear to the outside of the ear. So if you can see some excessive wax on the outside of your ear or just on the outer part of the opening of the ear canal, then you can certainly just clean that away with a damp towel or something like that. But we don't generally recommend that you use cotton buds. You might get a little bit of the, the wax out, but quite often you're also likely to push some of that wax back inside and that can potentially sort of build up and, and harden and create a problem. If you've noticed a change in your hearing, like tinnitus, finding it hard to hear people or noticing you're turning the volume up on your TV or music player much more than usual, it's important to see your GP or hearing specialist to get it checked out and prevent any further damage. Dr Wu says that as an audiologist, helping people minimise the impact hearing loss can have on their lives is a highly rewarding part of her job. 
I'm really interested in in sound and how we experience sound and actually have a, a background in music and music education. So that is what initially attracted me to audiology. But what I really like about my job is that I feel like I'm um, making a difference in people's lives because I think hearing loss is a condition which it's because it's not visible, the impact that hearing loss can have on their lives um, is can be quite um, quite debilitating. Uh, it can be you know very socially isolating, and in the case of, of an infant or a child, it can have significant impacts on their speech and language development. One part of Dr. Wu's job is working with children and babies with hearing loss who will be fitted with hearing aids or cochlear implants. Chances are you've seen a heartwarming video of a baby having their hearing technology turned on and hearing their parents' voices for the first time. Like this audio of Baby Harrison, diagnosed at birth with bilateral moderate sensorineural hearing loss, having his hearing aids switched on for the first time when he's just six weeks old. Hi. Oh, you like that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm getting a smile. But Dr. Wu said that not all babies have a positive reaction to their devices being switched on, and that parents shouldn't be put off if instead of smiles, they get a few tears as their child adjusts to the world with sound. Particularly for a cochlear implant for a child who has been born deaf, if they've been born deaf, they have minimal or no hearing. So for them to suddenly have this thing turned on and for them to be receiving something that is a sensation of sound is actually, I think, likely to be quite frightening for them because it would be completely foreign. So typically what we get is we turn it on, we activate it through the computer software, and then there's a slight pause as we wait for it to be activated. And then we typically see the child start screaming or burst into tears and then we turn it off immediately and we always warn the parents it could be any kind of reaction but just expect possible screaming and tears. Whether there are tears or smiles Dr Wu finds satisfaction in her job identifying hearing loss and helping children and their families get appropriate medical care and support. I like to feel that I'm making a difference in people's lives in identifying that hearing loss um, as soon as possible and making sure that um, we refer them on so that they get the appropriate support and habilitation that they need so that they can reconnect socially and that their development is not impacted and um, we can minimise the, the impact on, on their lives that the, the hearing loss might have. Thanks for joining us for another episode of My Amazing Body. Before we go, did you guess our mystery body part this episode? The four sets of dust catchers for your eyes are your eyelashes. My Amazing Body is brought to you by Queensland Health. With special thanks to our expert guest, Dr Janice Blue, our guests Rebecca White and Dion Reed, and mum Isha Marie who provided audio of her little Harry hearing for the very first time. Thanks also to my podcast colleagues, Lauren, our researcher, writer and producer, Carol, our audio technician, Helen on sound effects, Dan, our music guru, and the media team at Children's Health Queensland.